The Grow My Cleaning Company podcast helps owners of cleaning companies just like you to grow your company and yourself so you can make more money and finally get the time and money freedom that probably got you into this business. Discover how to automate and create systems that allow you to grow like crazy without losing control. If you dig the show and want to show some love, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It really helps. Enjoy the show. Hey, Cleaning Nation. Good. Well, I can't say good to see you or good to hear from you, but good to be seen, good to be heard. I don't know. Good to be with you, whatever that means virtually. Um, all right. As is our custom, it is, uh, if you're listening live, it is Wednesday at two o'clock Pacific, um, where we live where we live, where we uh, stream every week. If you want to be a part, join our free Facebook group, Grow My Cleaning Company. Uh, shoot Lindsay a question at supportofgrowmycleaningcompany.com and we'll hook you up. That said, who we got first? What's shaking, uh, Lindsay? All right. First up, we got Haley Morgan. She sent us a, a comment on Facebook and she asked, when hiring a salesperson, how do you pay them? Straight commission, like 10% on all contracts close, and also what other expectations do you have for your sales reps? Good question, really like that. So first and foremost, let's make a distinction. Um, I don't really coach you all to hire a salesperson for commercial, so this would be for residential. Let me kind of explain the, the difference. Well, I mean, you guys know the difference between residential and commercial, but why? So for commercial, if we're doing well, we might have three or four bids in any given month. And an average bid might be anywhere between ten to a hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue or you know fifty to a half a million in lifetime value, like high dollars. And a bid usually only takes a couple hours to put together. So I'm just gonna do it myself. It's gonna take more time to hire someone, manage them. Um, and then also just probably not gonna do as good of a job as the owner is. And so I'm not going to hire a commercial. Now, keep in mind, because I'm a big fan of being able to work 10 hours a week anywhere from the world. You don't have to be in your city. So I, uh, if I'm traveling, I'm going to probably have a one of my employees go do the measurements and I'm going to do the bid portion of the pain conversation. Actually, what's going on? How would it cost? What are your needs? Actual sales portion over Zoom. So if I'm in town, I'm just going to go out there and do it. If I'm traveling, I'm not. So that's why, that's A, why I wouldn't hire a salesperson for commercial. And by the way, for some of you larger guys that are doing seven figures, I know like, I've got sales guys, they've been around, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is most of the time what that looks like, there's not salespeople. They're like everything they do. them. They're like, I pay Steve and he kills it, drags it home, does everything. Right. But the problem is there's a lot of problems with that. One, there's too much in his wheelhouse. And you don't really, as a business, have a relationship with Steve's book of business. Steve has a relationship. So when Steve leaves, all of his work that he's done is going to go with him. Maybe some of the work he's already sold you goes with him. Um, because for commercial, it's such a long sales cycle. And I promise we're going to get to residential. I just want to cover everybody. Um, because it's such a long sales cycle when it comes to commercial, it's possible Steve is there for a couple months and doesn't sell anything and he's doing great. It's also possible he is there for a couple months, gets a sale or two, and really isn't very good at his job. So it can take three to six months to even know if they're any good. And if they're not good, well, not just the money that you paid them, but now you're three or six months behind on your growth plan. So I love having marketing do marketing jobs. So marketing is to get leads and bring them in. And then sales jobs to take leads and convert or bids, you know, people that want bids and convert them into sales. So on the commercial side, typically there's not enough work for a salesperson to do just sales. So people are like, well, I'll have them do marketing. I'll have them do lead gen, but that's not really what they're good at. So that's my rant on the commercial side as to why you wouldn't have that on the residential side. Uh, makes a ton of sense to have a salesperson for a lot of reasons. One, 
a lot of you guys and gals are like, you know, you get sold on some software that's like, you can just give them a bit online. You don't have to go out there. And I get it's wildly convenient, but <laughs> the problem is you're going to get a bunch of one-time cleans. You can't see the place. You've got their credit card. If you go out and it's a hoarder situation, the guy's just, you're stuck. Once you take their money, you're stuck with them, right? So you can't really profile your customers. You're going to get the people that are just looking for price because they got nine tabs open and they're just, there's just, there's no commitment on the customer's end, right? Easy in, easy out. He comes in, a couple clicks of the thing. He's probably just not very committed. So again, even if an average residential client's only 400 bucks a month, it's about five grand a year. They stay two, two years. It's a $10,000 client. We don't have an hour to either go yourself or pay somebody for crying out loud, go in there and see. I mean, your quality of client will go up, your close ratio will go up, your uh, average lifetime value will go up. They'll stay longer. They'll get better reviews. They'll call you before they quit. Like so many good things happen when somebody doesn't have to be you, the owner, but when somebody's on site doing a sales call. And again, residents are better at having their marketing system generate leads and their salesperson just convert those leads. So it really is your client, your lead. And when that salesperson leaves, he or she doesn't have the relationship with the client you do. So it doesn't affect your business. So that's why you would have a salesperson for residential on site. Um, in terms of expectations, I'm going to expect a residential person if their process is followed. And one of the big mistakes people make, we can't cover it now, but one of the big people mistakes people make is they don't understand when the sales process starts. They think it's when they get onto site and they're doing the walkthrough. The sales process starts when the guy or gal calls in. So it's really important you frame the sales call properly on the phone call, the 15 minute phone call. If you do that wrong, the sale can be dead before you get there. So all that to say, with the appointment, the sales calls framed properly, the owner should be closing at least 70% of the people that go on. Because keep in mind, it's a bit of a commodity, right? It's not like you have no idea, is this going to be $7,000 or one-time payment or eight bucks a month? Or like people have an idea the cleaning company's probably monthly fee. They probably think it's going to be two or $300 on the low end, four or $500 on the high end. Like it's pretty, there's not a lot of fear if you're going to deliver. Like, is this going to be what I think it is? Like they're pretty confident if you say you're going to come clean that you're at, you know, you're Gonna, especially if you're physically there for the sales appointment, it'd be weird that you show up for the sales appointment, but you can't get, you know, there's just, it's a very, it's a very simple sale. So if you as an owner out there, it should be about 70% or more. I'll go down to 60% with sales reps. If it's not me, typically they're not, not typically, but it's okay. If they don't do quite as well. Um, and I'm generally going to pay them some portion 50 to hundred percent based on how good they are uh, of the first month's revenue. So that's that. And it's going to be, by the way, typically a part-time, unless you're really rocking your um, your marketing, it's probably going to be a part-time gig, right? Like a good lead flow for residential it might be 20 bids a month, which if you work Monday through Friday, there's 22 days. That's like a bit a day, right? And it's not going to be exactly that. It might be two or three one day and then nothing the next and so on and so forth. Um, so that's what I would expect. That's what I would pay. <laughs> that's a lot more answers than you came for, but I hopefully Haley is satisfied, happy, and feels a little better about her next steps. Awesome. Well, we got a question in chat from Cheryl Jacoby and she Whoa. asked, <laughs> Hey Cheryl, she asked how to figure out your profit and loss because each house is different in size and what you might be spending on top. Could Mike help me out? I will help the crap out. What was her name again? Cheryl. I would be happy to help you, Cheryl. Um, part of the problem is I think you're trying to get two jobs done with one document. So surprise, there's two documents that'll help. Um, 
your, you said how to get a clean profit and loss, which is a really good question. That's one of the first things that we do when people come in as clients. We actually hired someone daily to do calls and get their profit and loss. It's a big deal. You'd be shocked, guys, gals, how I would say less than 10% of the people that come in as clients have clean profit and loss. And this is people just starting all the way up to millions of dollars of revenue. It's not like, and I think everyone thinks once they get bigger, then I'll have a clean profit and loss statement. Not what I, that has not been my experience as a coach uh, for nearly a decade in this space. So to answer the question, certainly want to get your profit and loss handled, but that's more of a, that's not a per customer profitability sheet. It's a company-wide sheet. So it's going to tell your cost of goods sold, basically sales, or here's all the money I got to provide service. And your cost of goods sold is here's what it costs to provide that service before expenses, basically payroll, workers' compensation, insurance, payroll taxes. Um, and then that leaves your gross profit after your expenses, administrative expenses, liability insurance, marketing, all that sort of stuff. That's going to be your net profit. So profit and losses are really good for that. And just, it's tough because there are a lot of so many accountants out there. People come like my accountants and their accountant is a drunk hobo with one arm and no compute. I don't know what they got doing their stuff, but I've seen so many books. I'm just like, makes me sad in my heart. So to get a good overview of the company, you need a good, clean profit and loss statement, and you just need a decent bookkeeper. And I'd say it like it's easy. It is not. They are hard to find. Um, without patting ourselves on the back too hard, <laughs> come be a clean. If we have room and we're a good fit, be a client. Well, you know, well, we have a bookkeeper. We'll make sure she holds your hand. Oh, by the way, that's how we do it. That's how whether we work together or not. This is how I'd recommend you do it. Um, get the bookkeeper on Zoom. You share your screen. Don't let her share her screen because she'll start doing all sorts of wizardry. You'll get confused and you won't want to say anything. And you'll just sit there like, you know, you share and make her. It's painful for the bookkeeper. They don't want to do this, but they watch you and like, nope, not the, the other button. Click no down. Like, and it's wildly frustrating for them, but that's what it takes to get it done. So I would find that human, pay them to watch you do it. And again, these guys should be anywhere between 30 and $80 an hour, not a wildly expensive and that you should be able to get the sort in three, four, five hours if you got a good bookkeeper. So that's the profit and loss statement. What you asked about is customer profitability. Um, for our clients, we have a customer profitability spreadsheet. I would use that. If you're not a client, make a customer profitability spreadsheet. It's just some version of name of the client, dollars in every month, frequency of cleaning, hours per clean, um, what you pay per hour, drive time and mileage, things like that. And then you just do the math to get your actual cost of goods sold um, per client. So, and I know there's some accounts out there like, well, QuickBooks will do that for you. It will, but it's a huge, it's a, don't do it. I promise you it's way harder. It doesn't, it's not going to work. Um, build a spreadsheet that is made just for profitability per customer and to make sure your profit and loss is accurate. And you're going to use each of these to cross check the other. So once you've got your spreadsheet built, it should tell you your cost of goods sold based on the data you put in, because you've got to make some assumptions about what it costs you per hour, how long they take, travel time. It's going to give you some of those assumptions. Um, so you'll have your projected profit per client and company-wide. So it'll say, hey, your cost of goods sold based on what you told me is 37%. And you're like, fantastic. Go check your P&L. Because if your P&L, which is tied to your, your check, your bank account, <laughs> is going to tell you exactly, it might be like your actual cost of goods good sold is 63%. Well, now we got to figure out what the heck's going on. So to answer uh, your very simple question with a very complex answer, you need, you're need you going to want two things. You are going to want a P&L, which is not great for giving you profitability by client, but giving you good profitability by company, like company-wide 
data. And then you want a customer profitability spreadsheet, which won't tell you a lot about your company-wide profit, but it'll it'll give you a very good idea of profit per customer. And you're going to want to make sure they match. And they don't have to be data on, right? Like if your customer profitability says you're at 48% and you go to your P&L and last month it was 51% and the month before that 49, you're like, it's fine. Like we're not looking for perfect. But when you get a 37, 52 delta, we got ourselves a problem. Did I think I went real fast and nerded out on spreadsheets, Lindsay? Did even a third of that make sense? Or do you, you think I was everybody sleeping in the audience or just like the 80%? Um, well, I know Cheryl responded back. Thank you so much. That's what I was looking for. So, all right, Cheryl, God bless you, lady. You're awake. You're either being a nice liar, which I appreciate, or you got some help, which means uh, probably some other people got some help. Big virtual hug, Cheryl. Hey, amazing people. You may have noticed we don't sell a dadgum thing on this podcast. We don't allow ads. The only ask I can ever have of you guys is if you dig the show for you to spread the word and share so we can change as many lives as possible. Literally, it'll take you five seconds to give us a great review and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you as a listener and value the gift of your kind words. Now, back to the show. Our next question comes from Crystal Laurel via Facebook on a comment. She wants to know how does she take more control and be more proactive while handling the growth of her business? In other words, I'm no longer wasting time, energy, or money putting out fires. Oof, duh. All right. That's a bit, sorry. I, got, I went all like Wisconsin. Lindsay knows oof, duh. <laughs> I'm from Arizona. I'm not allowed to use that. It's cultural appropriation for my friends in the Midwest. Sorry, Midwesterners. Yeah, that, including Lindsay. I'll have to, you'll have to take it to the board and let them know I, I meant no disrespect. Um, that's a big girl question, Lindsay. Huh. Okay. The problem is, that's like saying, how can I be happier? Like, oh boy, <laughs> we got to define what happy means to you and how much happier. So when I hear take more control of your business, this would be where I'll give you some questions I would ask you, uh, Kristen, and perhaps you could ask yourself those. And believe it or not, Clean Nation, once you've got a really good question, sometimes the answer is pretty apparent. So a lot of the coaching we do is people ask questions I don't think are going to get them where they want, want to go. And I propose a different question. And a lot of times just with a really powerful question, they're like, oh, I think I can answer that on my own. Like, God bless you. Fantastic. So just because that's such a big question, Kristen, and I, I really want to serve you to the best I, of my ability, I'm going to give you some other questions and I'll even make you a deal. You follow up with the answers to these questions on the next you email them to Lindsay. I will answer these much more specific questions. When you say control, what do you mean? And that means when you say control of your business, does that mean how much growth it has in terms of top line revenue? Does that mean how much profit it has in terms of money to you? Does it mean how many hours it requires of you? Does that mean you picking which hours you're available and which hours you're not available, which would really be more control of your life that the business would support? Um, and then when you say putting out fires, define a fire, right? Because different people have different fires. So I hate to be a complete jerk on this because I've gotten a lot of coaching my time and my least favorite questions more so when I was younger, but it still annoys me. Because when I ask a question, the guy doesn't answer the question. like, wrong question. Ask this question. I'm like, come on, man, just answer my goddamn question. And I, if I could get some more specificity, if we were talking one-on-one, -on -one, Kristen, and we could go back and forth a bit, I promise I would answer your question. It just... I don't, when you say, how do I take more control? I would need to know how much control you have now. 
and how much control you would like and how you define that control. And then I could give you a good answer, but because it, you know, it's like, how do I get to Antarctica? I'm like, well, where are you now? And if you're like, I don't know, or how do I get somewhere colder? I'm like, well, what do you mean by colder? Like how, what's the temperature where you're at now? <laughs> like, which, you know, like I hate it when I'm, people are giving directions, like go left. I'm like, you don't know what direction I'm facing. If you don't know if I'm going North, <laughs> like, it's like, I'm okay with go East, go West, but when they go left and they don't know which way I'm facing, I'm like, one of us is confused. I don't think it's me. So not trying to bust your chops, Kristen, but I feel like you're going, what, which way do I turn? But you haven't told me where you're going or you haven't defined clearly where you're going or what direction you're facing. And I don't want to be like the guy going, go left, Kristen. <laughs> you might fall off a cliff and yell at me. So for everybody who wants general things, how do I make more money? How do I get more control? How do I work less? Define what that means. So work less is, well, how much are you working now? And when you say work less, do you mean work more effectively, the same amount of hours, but just doing more effective work that you enjoy? Or do you mean work less hours net? Or do you mean work the same amount of hours, but get to choose which hours you work and which hours you don't? None of those are the right or wrong answer, but the how to get that result is going to vary different, very good ton based on which those results that you want. So there's my worst answer. So the first question was super boring. That question was super, that answer was super unhelpful. We've got time. I can annoy one more person at the time we've got, Lindsay. All right. This is a not vague question at all. What is the best way to get leads for government facilities? All right. There we go. That was specific. <laughs> but true to my word, I'm not going to give you anything that's going to be helpful at all. You'll still be frustrated, but at least I can't blame you because that was a really specific question. Is that uh, who asked that? I'm sorry. That was Ruth Murillo off of Facebook. I love my friend Ruth Murillo. I have a weird feeling. Eddie and Ruth, I think she's in our, ask me offline. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll give, Ruth, I'll give, Ruth I'll give is you currently that. actually an elite member. Yeah. 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 So come on, don't take a spot from someone else. Ruth, you can so ask me questions. Good. It is a good question. Okay. So here's the answer to the world. I get a lot of how do I get more, and I love the specificity, you know, they'll go commercial clients or residential clients or more specifically like rooted government contracts or property managers or and the process is the same. So that's not true. The process for all commercial clients is pretty much the same. The process for residential clients is the same. So we'll go commercial. Most people are hoping for, and I get it. I've been there and I, if there was an easy button, I promise I'd give it to y'all. Like some sort of, oh, and they, they, there's a lot of easy solutions, but they're not really solutions. Like there's a lot of lists where you can get on you can so there's all this so here's the thing with government and you're going to don't ruth please 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 clean nation don't get fall, fall into this well this guy for 100 bucks a month i can get on the deal and all the public bids will be open and i can just get them all or i well i'm small business certified woman-owned minority-owned so yeah everybody else is they all do that it is nothing that's like table stakes that's like having a restaurant going we got good food and we don't charge outrageous prices like yeah that's just to open your doors you have to have that like that's not enough to be to to get there. So, all right, I'm going to go on the government the government rant. We're going to go over, but I don't care. It's a, it's a long question. It's a it's an important question. Here so, we go. <laughs> here we go. Buckle up, kids. Uh, I'm going to get specific. Um, well, before we even get there, let me tell you why I would the questions I would answer for me. Let me give you the pros and cons of government work first, and then I can kind of tell you how to go about getting government work. So the only pro, there's like, well, there's two pros to government work. Generally, they have a lot of money. Um, they'll say they're budget-based. They're not terribly, especially if they're putting an RFP, RFQ. They've got the money. 
And believe it or not, you think that they're like looking for the lowest price. They're often not. They're looking for the lowest qualified bidder. It's how you get $900 hammers from the Pentagon because one jerk is buddies with that guy and the hammers have to have the special thing and he's the only vendor that has it. So he's the lowest qualified bidder, but there's only one bidder, blah, blah, blah. So the good news about the government is they do have money. They'll spend a lot. Like if you're like, who's got a bunch of money in my town? It's probably the freaking government, right? And we're paying taxes. Might as well get some of that flowing back our way. That's one good thing. The other good thing, which is a double-edged sword, it's neither good nor bad. It's just a thing that if you you can utilize to your benefit, they will typically follow their contracts. So their contracts often make no sense. And as a business owner, we use common sense. Well, it says this, but that doesn't make any sense. Stupid stuff like the bid's due by five o'clock. Someone turns in a bid at 5.03 and it's a low bid and the government wants to award it to them. You can go to the government and be like, no, 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 no. Your contract says five o'clock is a bid. You may not take that. And they will typically say, you're right, we're, we're going to kick that bit out, even if it makes no sense, right? With any other entity, you'd be like, come on, it's three minutes, let's be reasonable. And the guy's going to go, I just want to use it, screw you, I'm going to do what I want to do. The government typically will follow their contracts to the letter, which is good if you're a lawyer or you like that kind of doing, I hate the government. I shouldn't say I hate the government, but I would not choose to, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of many of the, I love our country, by the way. I'm American, I love America. A lot of our hardworking probably started with the best intentions officials. I'm not as, as a big fan. Both sides, by the way, this isn't a like, you know, Republican Democrat thing, just whatever. Um, so the, if you're into, I'm a lawyer, I want to read a lot of contracts. I want to have a lot of relationships. Um, I don't want to provide the best work. I want to follow the contract the best or even better get in with on the stage of writing the contract and write it in such a way that I'm the only one that qualifies. If that kind of thinking turns you on, government work is for you. <laughs> if you're like, ugh, I just want to do a good job for a reasonable price and make people happy, government work is not for you because nobody over there is happy. So to answer your question, Ruth, when I said it's all the same, it really is. You got to find out what their pain is and then position your company to solve that pain uniquely. Um, the government has unique pain. So everyone's like, the government doesn't have any pain. Yes, they do. And first of all, there is no such thing as a the government. There's only bureaucrats or government employees, right? There's a, an army of them, but they're, again, the quote unquote, the government doesn't buy anything. Sylvia in freaking procurement for this department buys crap, right? Like she's a human being. And Sylvia has pain just like anybody else. Now, Sylvia at her home for her house. All right, here we go. I'm going to get, we're going, I'm going political, by the way. So I forget the name of the article. I wish I could credit whoever came up with this thinking, but it's so good. They did a study on money and the best use of money. And they found me buying something for myself is the best use of money, right? So if I'm buying something for me, I will usually get the best deal, find the best thing and do a good job with it. Just common sense, right? Like it's my money. I'm interested in me. I'm pretty good. Me using my money to buy something for you second best use because it's still my money. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat interested in it, but not as interested if I was buying it for me. The third best, most efficient use of money is me using someone else's money to buy something for me, right? Like less if it's less, less efficient if it's my money because someone else's money, I'm going to be a little, you know, we get health insurance. I'm like, well, I don't feel so good. Might, might as well stock up on this. You know, I paid for it. I might as well get my money's worth, right? So it's not going to be quite as efficient if it was my money for me. If it's someone else's money for me, there we go. And the least efficient use of money is me spending your money on someone else, which is the government, right? And it's not its not that the government's evil. That's just, if you just do the math of like, that makes sense, right? If I get Lindsay's money and it's not my money, 
and I'm not spending it on me or her. I'm spending it on Bob and I don't know Bob. I'm going to be a lot less efficient than if it was my money and I'm spending it on me. So Sylvia is in that position of, I don't give a crap about it. It's not my money and I'm not spending it on me. I get no benefit to this. So Sylvia is going to go to what her pain is. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to, you know, I'm making 62 grand a year. I get a bunch of benefits and blah, 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 blah. I just don't want anyone to yell. I just want everyone to leave me alone. I want to do the least amount of work for the least amount of ha hassle. Sylvia's not a bad lady. She's a human. That's how we are, right? So her pain is, I just want someone to freaking dot the eyes, and I don't want to do anything. So to solve the government's pain, you get really good at understanding their contracts, and they've got a bunch of asinine, pardon my language, rules and regulations that you got to follow. Did you fill out? The, you know, there's sitcoms of, did you fill out the form, W-2-3, back of the line, blah, blah, blah. That's the government. So their pain is, you know, form W-2-3, and you filled it out the right way, in the right font, on the right paper, with the right staple, in the right place. And you can, Sylvia can just be like, done and done, baby. She doesn't care if it's the cheapest. She doesn't even care anything. She just knows she ain't going to get fired because by God, that staples on the top left and the third and the top third of the thing. And it's a number three staple, which is all that will look like all the little stupid stuff. So to answer your very simple question, again, with a very complex and probably boring answer. Sorry, clean nation. How do you get government work? Just like anyone else, you understand their pain and you solve it differently. What's their pain It is not the cheapest bid. It's the cheapest qualified bid. And to be fair, Sylvia doesn't even care about the cheapest qualified bid because you aren't, she's not getting cleaning services for her building. She would care about that. She's getting cleaning services for some other building that she has never seen or been in. So she just cares that do you fill out the paperwork, right? Do you make her life easy? And can she point at the contract? If, you, if something goes wrong, she goes, I follow the rules. He followed the rules. He's a, he's a qualified bidder. It's not if you can do a good job. That doesn't matter to Sylvia. It's can she point at the thing and go, I follow the rules exactly. So again, if that's, turns you on. You're like, that's the kind of business I want. The government is for you. <laughs> if you're like, I just want to do a good job for someone that actually has a pain that I can solve. I probably wouldn't start with the government. And I'll give one more kind of heads up in case you're, you know, so that's how you get the business. Let me tell you why I wouldn't get the business particularly. One, they say, if you sit down at a poker table and you don't know who the chump is, you're probably the chump. That's kind of what it is with some of those government bids. When you go in and they're like, hey, Steve, what's up? And they're all drinking their coffee. They all know each other. You don't know none of them. <laughs> Just saying, you might want to pay a little attention. And when you, for those of you that aren't watching, doing ridiculous air quotes, win the bid. Did you? <laughs> Did you win a bid? because all these other guys that know the bid, know the people, know the whole process. And you just kind of walked in without knowing any of this crap and you get the bid. You're like, these guys have all done a bunch of these bids. And this is my first, what do they know that I didn't win or I didn't know. Right. So government's not for good part-time stuff. Like if this is really what you want to do as a niche and like dive in and nerd out and get to know all the bureaucracy. And, and by the way, there is no such thing as government. There's federal, there's state, there's county, there's a city, there's just a ton of different governments and they're all governmental, but they all have different rules. So you have to start all, you start and it gets the smaller, the better, right? You start on a little county government, they may not bust balls as much or be as complex or have as much paperwork as a city. The city ain't going to be bad as a state unless you're in Chicago. Chicago might be worse than Illinois, but for most cases, and then the federal, of course, is just this behemoth that's the most difficult to deal with. So usually very expensive to that knowing the ins and outs usually costs quite a bit. Um, oh, and also pay. They, you know, with a regular business, you can say, well, I only get paid in advance. And if that doesn't work for you, we'll just pass. And 90 plus percent of businesses, if you do it right, you have the, you know how to have a conversation, you understand their pain and you do everything else right, you can get paid in advance. 
um, with the government. You can, believe it or not, because they won't tell you this, but some of them, and again, same thing. You can look in there and sometimes there's laws that say if there's a discount for paying early, you must take that discount. So you can literally go, I'll give you a nickel off if you pay net one. And then you go, hey, 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 you by law must take this discount. And it might you might do net 1%, you know, 1% discount net five or some, you know, whatever terms that you want to set. But again, these are the things that you have to look at is the bureaucrat's not going to tell you any of this crap. you got to find that out on your own. So again, hopefully you're getting an idea of what it feels like to deal with the government. If that lights your, your candle, go get them. If I'm just starting a cleaning company, I would never take the government as my first um, niche. If I had a, a ongoing customer or cleaning company, I could like, I was trying to add a niche and I maybe knew somebody or had a little in, I'd consider it. Um, but just be careful, like buyer beware or seller beware. They're, uh, you know, I've, I've seen the government put a lot of companies out of business. I wouldn't say intentionally, just it's a machine that just grinds up vendors. All right. Rant over. We've gotten way over on time. Lindsay, anything, anything we need to cover? I'll shut up and give you 10 seconds of talk. No, that's it for today. Just a quick shout out to uh, Denise, Constantine, Christopher in the chat. This your oh, girlfriend. Yeah. OG and Cheryl, of course. And, uh, Beata, I hope I'm saying that right. I see Beata's question. We're going to answer that next week and that's it. That's all I got. All right, Clean Nation, you guys are the best. Thanks for hanging. Reach out to Lindsay, support at Grow My Cleaning, or just support at GrowMyCleaningCompany.com. If you need any help, um, check us out in the Facebook group, GrowMyCleaningCompany.com. We got stuff. <laughs> Want to grow your company? We got it. Check it out. See ya. Well, here we are, the end of the podcast, and you made it. Great job. Uh, I've got a little bonus for you before for sticking through with me, but like I mentioned before, if you got value out of this podcast and you want to show a little love, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever the heck you're listening to this thing, share it with a friend, share the love. And as a special thank you for those of you that stuck with me to the end, how about I give you my personal phone number so we can text? It's a great way for me to get to know you, your business, your goals personally. So shoot me a text now, 602-932-6431, 602-932-6431. I am the only one who responds to these texts and I will personally respond to everyone I possibly can as long as uh, this number is manned. I uh, don't know how long we're going to keep this at the end of the podcast, so grab it now, 602-932-6431. Give me a text, say hey, can't wait to meet you.